Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to your bonus episode of Pubcast. I'm Ava Santina, Politics Joe's political correspondent. Before we get started, if you fancy coming to see us live, you can at Labour Conference on the 8th of October in Liverpool with special guest Mick Lynch. Well, we get Labour front bench saying that they support our right to the strike. That doesn't butter any parsnips. You can buy your tickets on the world transformed. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show Pubcast. This week, Mayor of London Sadiq Khan announced universal free school meals for all London primary school children. Usurping the government, the mayor is funding up to 287,000 meals from the city hall budget. The move has been contentious and reportedly has created a rift between Khan and Labour leader Keir Starmer, who's not yet committed to free school meals if they are to win the next election. As a former recipient of free school meals, Khan said it was too important to wait and believes he's making history. We're making history in London because every child that goes to a primary school in London is eligible for a free school meal. Not means tested, everyone gets a, a healthy, nutritious uh, meal f- for free. And it's personal to me because I've benefited uh, from means tested free school meals, thoroughly enjoyed the meals. It gave my parents a lifeline and breathing space. But I still remember the, the embarrassment and the stigma queuing up to get my token for free school meals, eating my lunch separately from my mates. I I don't want other children to go through that, but also I recognise that every child that receives a free school meal, their family will save £440 a year. But also speaking to experts, what's quite clear is, you know, having a nutritional meal leads to better attainment, better attendance, better productivity, better concentration, better health, but also the, the families of these children have breathing space and a lifeline. Yesterday, Labour's new shadow uh, work and pension secretary, she refused to commit to universal free school meals because she says that, you know, you need to make a, if you're going to make a commitment, you have to fund it. I mean, how have you managed to fund it and the Labour Party can't? Well, firstly, I can understand why the Labour Party, this far out uh, from the general election, the National Labour Party, you know, can't give too much detail in relation to promises they ought to make. For the obvious reason, there could, there's going to be another autumn statement another budget, another autumn statement, and we don't know how bad the book's going to be in 18 months' time, and hopefully there's Labour uh, government. What we've done in City Hall is use £130 million from business rates and £5 million from our City Hall reserves to pay for this policy. I've been straight with Londoners. I'd rather, you know, uh, under-promise and over-deliver. I've explained I can pay for this for a year, uh, because of uh, you know the, the monies I've identified to help with the cost of living crisis when it's at its most acute, uh, I'd rather do that than over promise and under deliver. You know, make a promise before an election, after an election, ditch the promise. You know, I'm not one of those guys who promises to get rid of tuition fees, mm-hmm. then troubles them once I'm the deputy prime minister. <laughs> Did the Tories force your hand on this? Do you think it's uh, something the government should be paying for? One of the things that I think we're seeing more and more of is what I call cost shunting, where the government devolves responsibility to 
cities, regions, councils, but not the budget for doing so. So Londoners are paying the consequences of List Trust's mini budget. The government's paying the consequences of economic mismanagement. The government's paying the consequences of this government's lack of preparedness for uh, the consequences of Putin's invasion of Ukraine and so forth, um, with no support financially. And so what I say to the government is, is look at the lessons from London in relation to rolling this policy out across England. Look, I'll give you one example. To be eligible for means-tested free school meals, as a family, your income's got to be less than £7,400 after tax. Very few people earn that, that, you know, that little money. In Northern Ireland, the financial threshold is £14,000, so more children living in poverty receive a free school meal in Northern Ireland. And so what the government should be recognising is, you know, children have to go to school uh, many of them going hungry. Nobody would, nobody would consider when somebody's an inpatient in hospital, you know, having patients going hungry or means testing patients in a hospital, my children. Mm. But then 14,000 is still very low, isn't it? Do you Absolutely. think the threshold should be, you know, you should be looking at lower, um, lower middle class children they as should, well? There, there, there should be no threshold. Firstly, even so-called middle class people are struggling. Mm. They're just about managing. Some of their mortgages have gone up by three, four, five hundred pounds a month for no good uh, reason. But actually, you saw in this school the benefits of children eating next to each other from different socioeconomic backgrounds, that social mixing, that interaction uh, is really, really important. Those soft skills are really, really important. But also the evidence I hope is going to be that all children do better as a consequence of this. It leads to what we call better social cohesion. It leads to the school doing uh, better. There was some work done by uh, PwC in relation to the economic benefits of universal free school uh, mills. And you know, over a 20 year period, you know, we benefit in billions of pounds in relation to less expense for the NHS, in relation to better productivity, in relation to people's earnings being enhanced because of better, you know, performance at school and so forth. So I think, you know, the government should be looking at, in relation to investment in universal free school mills for those in primary schools and also if possible those in secondary as well. Mm. We're in this really beautiful school today, but how does it make you feel knowing there are a lot of Londoners who couldn't send their children to school because they are, well, the roofs are caving in? You know, one of the things uh, that I think people need to recognise uh, is what we're seeing over the last few days is a consequence of government policy. These schools crumbling didn't just happen. In 2010, uh, this government took a decision, uh, as a political choice to have austerity, to cut uh, the Building Schools Future programme that the Labour government I was proud to be a member of had. So that program was cut. I remember as an MP in Tutin saying to Michael Gove, why are you cutting these programs for these schools that are crumbling? Uh, and they chose to have austerity. In 2021, Rishi Sunak as chancellor chose again to cut by half the budgets for school capital expenditure. And those chicks have come home to roost. This has been the government since 2010. They simply can't blame governments of yesteryear. That's why it's really important to recognize not only are public services crumbling, but literally, our schools are crumbling too as a consequence of this government's policies. And speaking of apportioning blame, um, how did it feel getting the blame for you, Les? Oh, well, I'm very proud of you, Les. I'm really proud that we're, ta we're taking action to uh, reduce air pollution to tackle the climate emergency and to reduce uh, congestion. Look, the decision to expand the ULES was not an easy one. It's one of the most difficult decisions I've taken, but it's a vital one and it's the right one. In central London, there was disquiet when we originally introduced the policy. What we saw after a year, a reduction by almost 50% of air pollution. A third fewer children being admitted to hospital as a consequence of uh, air pollution-related illnesses. We expanded it to inner London 
uh, a lot of noise, a lot of opposition, a further reduction by 20%, uh, but also children going to 1,400 schools benefiting from clean air. I appreciate there are concerns in outer London. We're, we're addressing those uh, concerns, the biggest scrappage scheme uh, ever, but the, the reality is it's in outer London where there's the worst air. The 10 boroughs with the biggest numbers of premature deaths are all in outer London. I think clean air is a privilege uh, and not a right, and I'm confident, just like in central London and inner London, uh, people realise once the policy began as a good policy in outer London, they will too as well. Just as a last question, I just wanted to know how you felt personally to some of the, the blowback that you received because of rolling out the ULS policy. I mean, there was one absolutely extraordinary tweet from Charlie Mullins, who runs Pimlico Plumbers, who suggested that you should be, you should be killed for it. I mean, how do you react to that? Well, well look, I, th I think it's right and proper in a democracy. Particularly people disagree to have a robust debate, robust discussion, protest, demos, petitions, lobbying, tough questions, they're all, they're all part and parcel of living democracy. And the idea that you should either threaten somebody or incite violence or incite criminality is wrong. And I, I make this in the context of somebody who was a friend of, you know, Joe Cox. Joe Cox uh, was a brilliant woman, a mother, a wife, a politician, who was killed because of her job and her beliefs. That can't be right. And so I'd say to people in a respectful way is, you know, be cognizant, be aware of the consequences of what you're going to say. Social media is a powerful medium for good often, but sometimes, you know, for ill. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. This week, the government found themselves in hot water over crumbling concrete, which has forced the closure of one in 20 schools across the UK. Outside Westminster, environmental campaigner Chris Packham was looking at the bigger picture. Fresh off the back of a wave of eco-protests this summer with Just Stop Oil, Packham gathered a group of scientists, doctors and analysts outside the walls of Parliament in hopes of encouraging a sensible discussion around what the country should be doing to tackle climate change. Flooding, wildfires, record temperatures all over the world, lack of sea ice, dramatic changes in wildlife distributions. Is there any ambiguity about climate breakdown? There's none at all. These people are insane and dangerous. 
Oh, my name is Chris Packham. I'm a naturalist, a broadcaster, an environmental campaigner. And what are we doing here today? I, I've come along uh, outside the House of Parliament today with uh, a whole bunch of scientists, I think nearly 100 scientists, and these are the people with their fingers firmly on the pulse when it comes to climate breakdown. They've been studying this, they've been doing the modelling, they've been telling us what has happened, what is happening and what's going to happen. And we've issued invitations to our elected representatives, MPs, cabinet ministers, to come out and have a conversation. So it's not a demonstration, there's no paint, no powder, no glue, no disruption. This is all about conversation. I like to make decisions based upon best informed judgment and that's why we want our politicians to be able to make those decisions too by listening to the best informed, these scientists. There's a real row erupting in both of the major parties at the moment about how to tackle net zero or whether they're going to tackle it at all. I mean, where do you think that's coming from? I think that at the moment, well, I think the Conservative Party are running into an election as the underdogs. So they're fishing around for policies which they think might win them votes. I think they're fishing in the wrong pond when it comes to diluting net zero. Because a recent poll has shown that when it comes to the British public, second only to the cost of living crisis is concern about climate breakdown. So they would do well to think about diluting any of those policies. And when it comes to the uh, Labour Party, at the moment we're seeing a bit of ambiguity there. I'm not entirely sure what's going to appear in their manifesto. They've said that they won't grant any more licenses for oil and gas exploration in the North Sea, but they've said that we'll honour licenses given by this government. And the run into the election is likely to see those licenses given. So that's not an answer for us either. We want all of the parties, not just Labour and Conservative, every single one of the parties in the UK to think very carefully about their environmental policies and make sure that when they draft those manifestos, they give us something to vote for. It's a real row at the moment over ULES that is happening in London and potential expansion to the rest of the country. I mean, what do you think it says about the politicians who are leaning into this argument that perhaps climate change, um, any way to tackle climate change will affect working class people? Well, if that's the angle they're taking, it needs to be addressed. Working class people are the people who require most support when it comes to climate breakdown. And that's working class people here. We're looking at global inequality. The people who are suffering most due to climate breakdown are not in the so-called developed countries. And there are hundreds of thousands of people already dying there because of you know, changes to our, our, our climate. Equality is something that we need to address. Now, let's focus on EULAS. EULAS is about air quality. It's about 30,000 people a year dying from respiratory-related diseases in the UK. It's about children with asthma in 2023, in our capital city, suffering. So we need to sort that problem out. But that shouldn't be about penalising people who can't afford the scrappage scheme, can't switch their vehicle. So how do we solve that problem? Well, we invest in it. We provide them with subsidies. OK, so where do the subsidies come from? Do they come from you and I as taxpayers? Well, they could, some of it, but you know where I'm going to say they should go for those subsidies? They should go to the fossil fuel giants that at the moment are posting record profits, grotesque billions of pounds in profit. If there were ever a time for a windfall tax to hit these people, to help the transition to renewables and help working class people through that transition, all the adaptations they're going to make, need to make to live in a very much changed climate, now's the time to do it. Does it concern you when you hear the Conservative mayoral candidate or the Reform mayoral candidate talk about climate change, describe it as a hoax? I, I, I don't honestly know how to answer that without, you know, 
losing my temper. It, it's insane. It's flat earthism. I mean, look at this. I, I'm, I'm standing here and, and, uh, amongst a group of people who are eminently qualified to tell us what is going on. Anyone listening to this can turn on their TV, turn on and, and watch your channel and see today Madrid underwater, Sri Lanka underwater, Las Vegas, the desert city underwater. Flooding, wildfires, record temperatures all over the world, lack of sea ice, dramatic changes in wildlife distributions, people migrating from one part of the planet to the other because they're, they're in severe drought. Is there any ambiguity about climate breakdown? There's none at all. These people are insane and dangerous. So net zero has been enshrined in law by 2050 and we've also heard well, the rumours that Rishi Sunak is going to introduce onshore wind farms. I mean, arguably two winds, but there's no actual blueprint of how we're going to get there. So how would you advise the government? What would you tell them to do? I would tell them to listen to their own climate change committee. The climate change committee are uh, an erudite bunch of people who pull together all of the science and under the guidance of Lord Deben, uh, a, a very shrewd and intelligent man, they recently published a report which was scathing about the government's capacity to reach net zero, scathing. It said that this government lacked any clear leadership and that their policies were never going to make it. So they don't have to look very far. They don't even need to come out here and listen to us. They can just read that report and act upon it, a, a report which they commissioned themselves. And just finally, so we're in this pool of experts today. You've got many scientists and doctors here. Do you think that Britain is, as uh, Michael Gove once said, tired of experts? <laughs> Michael Gove said we're tired of experts. We're never going to be tired of experts. Experts are what are going to get us through this crisis. We're going to listen to people who are going to figure out what's going on and figure out how we get around it, how we adapt, how we develop technologies, how we do transition from fossil fuels to renewables, how we restructure society so that we can have happy, healthy lives and live on a happy, healthy, sustainable planet. And that's going to come down to experts, not misguided politicians. Just one more then. Can I ask, is Rishi Sunak a green politician? Uh, is Rishi Sunak a green politician? It's always tempting to focus on an individual, but individuals are figureheads and behind them is a whole set of, in this case, government and a whole set of policies. Is Rishi Sunak to blame? No, he isn't. We can't pick on individuals like the current Prime Minister. We've had a whole raft of previous Prime Ministers that haven't invested in dealing with this crisis. This came to public awareness in 1988 and since then, precious little has been done. Rishi just happens to be here now, so he's facing the brunt of our ire. But I don't have to look back far to see other politicians who've acted equally as poorly when it comes to addressing this issue. But let's not worry about the past, worry maybe a little less about the present, because we've got an election coming at some point, and think about which politician will we be able to elect that will allow us to get through this crisis as unscathed as possible. That's where I'm looking. I haven't yet laid eyes on that politician, but I'm keeping them peeled. Thanks for listening. If you want more, head to the Politics Joe YouTube channel where you'll find this week's podcast with Ollie Dugmore, Ed Campbell and New Statesman's feature writer Harry Lambert. If you like what you heard, let us know on Twitter, Instagram or our subreddit and come and see us in Liverpool on the 8th of October. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.